Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. I hope everyone enjoyed the fourth weekend. Uh, we have a captivating subject for all of our listeners, but it may be even more special for our English listeners in East Barnsley and our good buddy in Coventry, who may have walked across Abbey Road on her way to Polesden Lacey. Tonight's show is on a Wednesday, not a stupid bloody Tuesday. So roll up for the Wednesday night edition of Nightlight Part 2, and I am the Eggman. We're broadcasting from the Nightlight Studio rooftop. Our guest is a Belle, but her name is not Michelle, nor Prudence, Eleanor, or Pauline Pam, Sadie, or Lucy. She is lovely, but her name is not Rita, and she is not a meter maid, but she is a paperback writer. Her name isn't Helen Wheels either. She has a pet walrus. For dinner, she had cranberry sauce and glass onions, and for dessert, she had a flaming pie. She would be 64 if she weren't 28. We'll learn about her Uncle Albert, who lives just off of Broad Street, which is the long and winding road to Junior's Farm on the Mull of Kintyre, which is accessible only by a jet. With a little luck, we'll have a great rock show with the Watusi author of Plastic Macca. Did you figure out tonight's topic? Here's another clue for you all. Well, let me introduce to you the one and only Tina Foster. Hi, Tina. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Happy birthday. Thank you. Appreciate it. it it's my birthday, too, yeah. And <laughs> Ringo's birthday was yesterday. And uh, I did not. I did not realize this until... I was going through your book that Paul and John met 
63 years ago, like two days ago. It's on page 145. Right. So we have a whole, so we have a whole bunch of things to celebrate. So, mm-hmm. um, are you sitting on a cornflake? <laughs> Okay, so, um, yeah, if people are interested in the, like, 50-some-year-old conspiracy that Paul McCartney died, they can go to Tina's website, Plastic. Maca. dot blogspot. dot com. That's plastic Maca, and that is spelled M A C C A. Um, okay, so I'm giving your plastic Maca the highest rating Nightlight bestows on authors, which is the category of goo goo gajoob. Um So, <laughs> what, what does the title mean? And was Classic your Mac. book published yesterday? Um, well, I call him Plastic Mac Ed because, you know, plastic is malleable. The English call they call him Macca, McCartney, short for McCartney, right, Macca. And, and I heard that song, Substitute by the Who, I See Right Through Your Plastic Mac, and something just mm-hmm. clicked. I'm like, oh, that's a perfect nickname for him. So I started using it and uh, you know, I I called my blog that and and I just you know, stuck with that theme for the book, so Okay. Um, yeah. 'Cause I mean it changed I mean it changed obviously um, a great deal from, you know, one day to the next practically in nineteen sixty six, so Okay. Uh, 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 we're going to get to that, but uh, uh, let's start off with Paul and John meeting with their teens in uh, the late fifties. Uh, uh, you know, in your research, what was Paul like as a young man? I mean, all of the interviews I've seen with him, he was pretty humble and modest and good-natured, and people seemed to like him, but he was not like a, he was not like a pushover or meek and mild. He was just like a, a quiet confidence about him, but he was more outspoken than like maybe George, um, the quiet beetle, you know. <laughs> But, uh, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I do compare and contrast the different personalities between Paul and Fall because Fall just comes off as obnoxious and irritating and not very friendly. I mean, there are a couple of cases where he actually physically assaulted people. Um, his ex-wife, Heather Mills, being one of them, according to her court documents. Um, nothing like that ever alleged against Paul. Um, the original people just 
seemed to like him, you know. He uh, he was popular. He was uh, people wanted to be like him. He had all his kids that saw them as uh, role models, trendsetters. Okay. And we also state that he was uh, a very innovative. A musician. He, he was actually, and uh, um, probably a lot of people don't realize it, that he he was actually a very good drummer too. Yeah, he could. He was one of those people that could pick up pretty much any instrument and start playing it, and playing it well. And there is a story where uh, John Lennon was asked, "Is Ringo Starr the best drummer in the world?" And he said, "Ringo's not even the best drummer in the Beatles." And for some reason, a lot of people want to deny that that actually ever happened. That I saw that interview and I heard it with my own ears. Because I wouldn't have put that in the book if I didn't know that was a true story. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the implication, of course, is that Paul was a better drummer. So, um, But Paul also played sitar and piano and lead guitar. Of course, he was the main bassist, and that's that was his main role mm-hmm. in the band. But he did play lead guitar in a number of songs. And um, and then, of course, you're saying how he was innovative. He did the, the tape loops on Tomorrow Never Knows. So he was really experimental. And uh, just an immense talent, really. And that that's another thing that disappears when, when Paul exits stage right. You know, he... Paul just never, could never live it to that. And he admits himself he couldn't write a song like Eleanor Rigby or Here, There, and Everywhere. And I talk about that in the book, and I I had quite a lot of fun just ripping him a new one. But I was using critics' words. I didn't put my own um, opinion on it. (laughs) You know, uh, there was plenty, and even Paul himself says he wasn't any good, Wings wasn't any good. And Paul had said that they would never put out a, a record that they that they thought wasn't good because they knew people would buy it. Like, they wouldn't put out an inferior product. He seemed to have a lot of pride in his work and integrity uh, and as far as his, um, his work product. And Paul, like, he knew that some of his albums were, were pretty mediocre <laughs> to be polite and uh and he he didn't care he just he knew people would buy it because it had the paul mccartney name on it so he was gonna you know take advantage of that okay and and tina uh, paul worked from you know it in the Beatles, you know, from the early days to, you know, like Rubber Soul and Revolver, you know, those are starting to get into, you know, like one one of the topics you just mentioned, you know, a little bit more of the ex- experimental um, aspect of the Beatles' career. How were those a uh, couple albums a, a little different than 
Meet the Beatles and the the first few that they did? Well, I mean, every album showed growth in their artistry, Mm -hmm. in more sophistication, in, in, of course, branching out into different areas. Of course, Rubber Soul had a lot of, like, guitar on it and and Revolver, Mm -hmm. too, and... Um, and then Revolver had the reverse tape loops. Um, I think Rubber Soul had um, some of the the back masking. Um, I Feel Fine had feedback, which I think was a new thing. So they were innovative and um, just uh, talented, very talented. Um, there are early... Earlier songs um, were. I mean, I I I don't want to. I, I don't want to say just what. I mean, like when "Please Please Me" came out, apparently it was considered to be a a, a great leap forward in their musicianship uh, compared to their earlier songs, which were um, catchy, of course, um, but maybe not as. Um, as um, advanced musically for whatever reason, but I mean they're all they're all good they're all good good stuff. Um, yeah, they are. Yeah, I don't think it's really until it, the later albums when Paul was no longer involved that you get um, inferior work product, and especially um, the White Album was panned by critics when it came out, and I think there's a lot of filler on that, and probably. I suspect that a lot of songs were unfinished, uh, songs that Paul had worked on. And we know that She's Leaving Home was a song that Paul actually wrote and sang because of his voice on Sgt. Pepper. So that was a song that he had recorded, and then they just put it on a later album. And um, and so we don't we don't really know. I mean... Uh, the one after 909 was a song that Beatles had performed. They'd written and performed it, but they never put it on an album. And so it it got picked up and put on Let It Be, like years later. And so it seems to me like they were getting a little bit desperate for material, like reaching back to get these older songs. And even... When I'm 64 was a song that the real Paul had written when he was 15 years old. So I wonder whether Paul would have actually ever recorded that song for an album because he he probably felt like, I mean, I was a kid when I wrote this. I've moved on. I don't really need to go back to these really early songs, but his to know for sure. But um, that's just my impression. Tina, you mentioned that uh, Robert Soul and Revolver had uh, sitar music on it, and and it's the time period when uh, the Beatles got involved with um, Eastern philosophy. Uh, so, So there's a Like halfway through their career, there's a positive message 
uh, around which Paul is uh, centered. Uh, you know, they also uh, ref- refuse to perform at the uh, Gator Bowl if uh, segregation was permitted. So, yeah, you know, there there become. So they yeah. take a stand. Yeah. Uh, so you know they are, uh, you know, nineteen sixty-five, sixty-six, and the uh, Beatles are. Um, you, you do go into the, the uh, spiritual angle of what they were doing, you know, trying to lift uh, people's. Hearts and minds through music, as well as uh, addressing uh, some of America's social situations uh, go- going on in the mid '60s, as well. And did a, just a really nice job of making us well aware of. Some of the transformations that were going on in that 1965 to summer of '66, and you know, there's Paul as you know, Paul and John, you know, pretty much the limelight, but you know, uh, Paul. Is an integral uh, part of making the world a better place. Okay, so after the summer of '66 happens, um, you allege in your plastic maca that something happened to Paul. Can you can you explain a little bit about these rumors? Um, sure. That he was killed or replaced. Um well it really started back in uh the in late nineteen sixty six was the first whisperings of, of Paul having been killed. Uh, initial, well, the initial story was a car crash and that a double had taken his place. And people back in 67, it was getting to be so widespread in England that the Beatles book mentally actually refuted the rumor and it was just kind of funny because they said, "Oh, his his black mini is safe and sound in the car, in the garage." But Paul didn't have a black mini. George had the black mini. Paul had the green mini. So they got it wrong in their magazine. But <laughs> um, so then in '69, like the the rumor never went away. In '69, it came on more of it in an international scene, like the news broke in America because it was the college gossip. And then it got on to uh, like a radio show. And then it was 
in a another college paper, and then the mainstream media picked up on it. And everybody was asking, well, is Paul McCartney dead? I mean, what's going on? And so, you know, I mean, uh, reporters went to the Falls, Scotland home, like a rundown farm, basically, and Paul is there, and the reporters talk to him, and they say, oh, are you dead? <laughs> and he's like, well, uh, you know, to those who want to think of them as rumors, I'm not going to spoil that fantasy. And so basically what he said is, I'm not going to spoil the fantasy of people who think that the rumors of my death are fantasy. Of course not his death. And they don't ask if he's the original Paul. They ask, are you dead? Well, obviously, he's not dead. So he can answer that truthfully, say, no, I'm not dead. That doesn't mean he's the, the real Paul McCartney. So, um, but for most people, that was the end of the story because that was in Life magazine, that was mainstream media, and they believed mainstream media. So, okay. Well, story still never went away, and it still hasn't gone away even 53 years later. Um, now we have more forensic evidence. We've got voice prints. We've got, oh, just a million photographs and lots of examples of photo tampering. Not as much video tampering, a little bit. Um, I mean, I've probably studied a thousand, at least, pictures of Paul and seen the videos. And... Um, you know, it's quite unusual in a case of a double to have two forensic scientists come out and say basically that he was replaced, plus the voice print expert, Dr. Henry Truby, um, said that um, there were different voices uh, on, you know, yesterday, Penny Lane and Hey Jude, which were all three attributed to Paul McCartney, but only yesterday was the real Paul, and then there were two voice doubles. So, um, and then of course a lot of amateur detectives and you know people like me just notice differences in the pictures. Uh, in addition to what the forensic scientists discussed in their article, because they 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 found about six differences, and really you only need one physical difference to, to out a double. But they found different skull shape, which right there is is already like proof. <laughs> but they found the difference in the ears, the tragus, for example, um, the jawline, the palate, the teeth, and the nasal spine. So those are all basically features that can't be changed uh, without. Well, in some cases, they could change the palate, but it would have taken a lot of um, surgery, and the teeth would have required braces, which wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to be hidden at that point. And then um, also we have different eye colors, so brown to green in, in the space of four months, and height difference, difference in eyebrows, difference in hair part, difference in, uh, oh, feet. I mean, the fall, we've seen pictures of fall with six toes. Paul only had five, so how do you explain that? 
See, these are differences that just cannot be explained away. And I know a lot of people try to rationalize it, like, oh, your eye color can change, or oh, your... <laughs> and whatever they want to rationalize, but if, if this were any other just normal person, it it would be so beyond proven that it's a different person that it, it just wouldn't even be a question. But everybody yeah, and- wants it's the original Paul because they're they're emotionally attached to it being their real Paul, but it's it's not. Yeah, and Tina, you you mentioned that you know, Paul would have had undergone this uh, mouth palate surgery, and he. Uh, if he would have needed braces after the surgery, that would have required a year of wearing braces. Okay, so that they don't show uh, braces don't show up in uh, any of the photos post. Uh, September 66 when this rumored car crash happened. So uh, there's something else to possibly contend with. Uh, So as we get closer to the release of Sergeant Pepper in June of 67 or uh, writing about you know, there, there's a scar on um, Paul's lip there's all this unexplained facial hair that you know they grew these mustaches over uh, the winter, um, you know, we're starting to see some significant changes in this band within a short time. So mm-hmm. uh, that seems to be very telling of something. Right. Well, I contend that the facial hair and the loud costumes are distractors, and the long hair, too. Mm-hmm. So Paul's head was rounder than Falls, and this is according to the forensic scientist. And so having the longer hair helps disguise the head shape a little bit, and the facial hair helps to hide the face, but also... Um, it's it's a it's a distractor in a way because if people look at him and think oh he looks different they'll say well it could, it's probably just the facial hair, but also by Sergeant Pepper with the really loud outfits, like really bright mm-hmm. colors that's also in my opinion a distractor so it draws the eye away from the face into these really bright colors so these are tactics that are pretty common with. Um, uh, 
psychological operations with people like uh, counterintelligence and um, when you're trying to make use of doubles um, or imposters, like for example, if there's a spy and he wants, like they'll wear fake really bad teeth, like really crooked teeth. And so that's all the people Mm -hmm. see. When they're talking to them, they're like, oh my God, their teeth are so horrible. And then, of course, they take the teeth out later and they have normal teeth, and the person can't identify them because they identified them by the bad teeth. So it's, it's like camouflage or it's, um, well, it's a distractor, but you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the main feature, and um, it mm-hmm. really draws the eye. It draws the eye to it. And, um, and so I think that's what was happening with the Beatles. And, of course, all the other Beatles had to kind of go along with that, with the long hair and the facial hair and the loud costumes, because otherwise, if it's just Paul, people are going to be like, what is going on? But if they're all doing it, it's kind of like, oh, this is like a new phase for the Beatles, like whatever they're doing is kind of weird. But if people didn't like it, you know, there was the, the um, Dick Clark, Dick Clark show, Dave Clark show, wait, I get confused, Dick Clark show, <laughs> sorry. And it was introducing the new Beatles with Sgt. Pepper, and a lot of the people were like, well, they look old and ugly, and they were not pleased with the new turn of events. You know, they liked the mob pops. They liked how the Beatles looked, clean-shaven, handsome, um, and now they're not. <laughs> so, But it had to be done, or else it would have been too obvious. Okay, and since... We're at the Sergeant Pepper's phase of their career. You might as well look at probably the most uh, celebrated album cover and examine a few of the uh, clues there. Yeah, there there are the the present beatles and their you know emerging hippie days and you get the wax figures effigy uh, next to them yeah, yeah the so, uh, old beatles yeah and it, and it's a grave scene it's a funeral scene that was admitted by Derek Taylor their press secretary uh you know you have the dirt the grave side dirt with the flowers and then all the people that they would have at their funeral um, and then the, the actual people in the crowd there are some clues there as far as doubles or being rumored to be killed or replaced late Bob Dolan there was a rumor that he was killed on a motorcycle then there was mm-hmm. um, uh, the lady in the gold dress on just I'm blinking on her name right now. Diana Doors. She was in a movie called On the Double about a military officer who died and was replaced. So it's like almost the exact story that I think happened with Paul. And um, then there's other clues on there, like, uh, you know, of course, the left-handed bass and the flowers with the three strings for the three Beatles. And then the mirror, if you hold it up to the, the drum, like on the original album cover, it would say when, when, nine, he die, 
Well, I mean, the important thing is he'd die because the 119 is not clear what that is supposed to represent, if anything. Um, it could be a date. I don't think so. It could be, you know, three beetles and then an X, like X'd out. That's what I lean more towards, or just a... Mm. Anyway, um, and then you have, uh, of course, Alistair Crowley on the cover, and he was going to be on there twice. And he was a founding member of Tavistock, and I think all of that hijacking of the Beatles, I think Tavistock was behind it. So, um, and I talk about that in the book. <laughs> and, yeah, it... Uh, Oh, T- T- I was just going to say, it, it, as you know, nineteen sixty-five and sixty-six were winding down. You know, we kind of covered the Eastern uh, influence on the Beatles and. Uh, the uh, Gator Bowl uh, situation, it it just seems – I always thought it just seemed very odd that Aleister Crowley would be on the album cover. I, you know, Dylan seems like an obvious choice, and, like, and it also could be like they're taking – another page from Dylan's playbook and you know, just perfecting the the vehicle crash and you know, just taking take a little bit farther and um, you know kind of you know get, giving him a nod and a wink but it, yeah yeah so yeah, you, know, you they introduce Crowley, which uh, just seems suspicious, and he he was. You're alleging that he he was a founding member member of the Tavistock Institute. Yeah, he was MI5, a Satanist, and a, a founding member of uh, of Tavistock. Which is um, psychological warfare. So I contend that the LSD and all of the mind control stuff through the music and the drugs was orchestrated by Tavistock. And using this new puppet band called, you know, the Beatles, but not really the same band, and using them to spread their influence. And Timothy Leary, who was also on board with this agenda, uh, pushing LSD, and a CIA agent was talking about how music and the drugs were being used for um, for for brainwashing, for culture, for control of culture, for um, you know psychological warfare, basically. And um, it's all it's a pretty dark agenda, actually. Yeah. yeah, and it also, if you look at the Beatles in 67 versus the Madame Tussauds 
wax figures of them in what 64 I guess um, yeah. mm-hmm. somewhere early in their career uh, you know, Paul seems like he grew a couple yeah, more inches he, oh yeah no I have pictures of well it's well, Saul is taller, and it seems like he's about two and a half inches taller than Paul was. And that's based on scales of instruments, because you know the scale, you know how long they are. And then just standing next to people of a known height, like standing next to Ringo. So Paul, yes, he was taller than Ringo, but Saul like towers over him. And these are pictures where you can see their feet. And the one with Fall towering over Ringo, they're both wearing sneakers. So it's not like one's wearing beetle boots and one's wearing flat heel shoes. I mean, no, these are the same heel. And it's a huge difference. And stuff like that is hard to explain away. So, um, but also standing next to Jane Asher, who was 5'3", and then comparing the height. I think Paul was probably really around 5'8", and they said his official height was 5'11", but I think they were probably measuring him with his beetle boots on because, of course, they want to make him taller than he really was. It's more appealing, right? But it's kind of a fiction that um, Paul probably is at least that height or tall. Um, but, you know, like when you see Paul, he played the Hofner bass, violin bass. And when Paul plays it, it looks really small, like a little child's instrument on him. <laughs> so he actually switched to a different bass that was bigger and longer, you know, so that it wouldn't look so, you know, obvious. Yeah. Okay. So you just have to look for stuff like that. Okay, and well, uh, there's just so many di- different uh, ways we can go with Sergeant Pepper, but uh, I also want to bring up some uh, other information as this story kept developing over the release of uh, later albums. There's yeah, The next one was uh, in the Magical Mystery Tour and that that album wasn't even called The Beatles. It was just called Beatles. And we see so a little bit more... Yeah, it, it, it's just... It, it's a different... Uh, name for the band? Right. From the Beatles to Beatles. Yes. A lot of people have pointed yeah. that out. So that's kind of a clue right there, isn't it? But also the White Album. Look, I mean, the Beatles, one of their selling points was their looks. Their talent, their looks, their wit, their charm. So why are they putting out albums without their pictures on it? That's a little weird. And also on Sgt. Pepper, they have McCartney with his back to the audience on the back cover. So why are they mm-hmm. hiding in the space? I mean, these are, well, I mean, this is, 
is weird, right? Um, but on um, Magical Mystery Tour, since you brought it up, a really famous PID song on that is I'm the Walrus. And it has the clue of the um, King Lear at the end where they pipe in King Lear where it's like, oh, bury my body and um, oh, untimely death. And, of course, the official story is, oh, they're just playing BBC in the background of a recording studio, of a professional recording studio. They're just letting whatever play from the radio. Who buys that story, (laughs) you know? with 
speeding up or slowing down to make him sound more like Paul. But they also, I think they messed with Paul's voice too later on to make him sound more like Paul. So it goes both ways. Like they try to make Paul look more like Paul, they try to make Paul look more like Paul, and then it's like, and it's been going on since the switch. That's something that the forensic scientists said because they're experts in photo tampering. They know exactly what to look for. And they said, well, you know, here's a picture of the false head being made to look rounder. And um, it seems to have been happening since the 60s, since 66, 67. So it's a big muddled mess, and it takes a a long time to work through it. (laughs) Yeah, and... I spent 10 years on it before, you know, I mean, I started in 2008 and the book came out at the beginning of 2019, so I, I put a lot of time and energy into that research to try to figure what was, figure out what was going on. Okay, and in the poster that comes, uh, it's now the booklet that comes with the white album CD, you get the photo of Fall laying in the tub with the, like, shampoo dot in the middle of his forehead, and it looks like a halo around his head mm-hmm. as he lays in the bathtub. Yeah, you know, that's actually a good point. Like, he's in the water, and I, I think Paul's body was probably dumped out here in Puget Sound. Um, buried at sea, that's what I think. Um, but, you know, there there were some clues on that White Album. Yeah, and there was a picture of the guy with glasses, and people were like, well, hey, who's that? And they're like, oh, that's Paul. It's like, that is not Paul. And then people were like, well, that's Paul. Well, yeah. It is fall, but we still don't know who he is. I don't think it was a passport picture because it doesn't meet the requirements even close to being a passport picture. But that guy showed up in the Free as a Bird video that they did for the anthology. They referenced mm-hmm. him about three minutes, three minutes into the video. They referenced that guy. So that, that must have been fall in his life before he became a beetle. <laughs> Okay. It's, pure it's pure speculation what this guy did. Um, he may have been an actor. He may have been a spy. He had some sort of experience pretending to be somebody else. Yeah, he, what this guy he may have been an actor. Yeah, he, 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 uh, on the um, Sergeant Pepper, uh, and they just clearly state Billy Shears seems to be a new member of the Beatles. That's right. And it, it, the, there's the officially pronounced dead badge. On Paul's left arm, but you know, you're saying that's also the Ontario Police Department. So, Ontario did Provincial this Billy? Police. Yeah. Okay. There. There you go. Uh, 
thanks for correcting me. So, so was this Billy or Will, uh, you know, a Canadian brought in to be the uh, replacement, but he's less talented? Uh, is that just an? Do you think that's another? The OPD is just another clue. Yeah. It's, of who the. Um, so they have the OPP patch, which is Ontario Provincial Police. It was photoshopped to look like OPD, which is officially pronounced dead in England, which is like dead on arrival in America. And then, you know, uh, Saul was asked about this clue, and he said he thought it was Ontario Provincial, I'm sorry, Ontario Police Department. I mean, it's just, it's a bunch of. Yes, from Paul. Whatever you ask him says it's just yes. <laughs> but um, I'm not prepared to say that Paul is Canadian. It's a possibility. I'm prepared to say he's a native English speaker. I'm not even prepared to say that he's English. I don't think he's Scottish either because his accent isn't... Well, I mean, he fakes his accent, but he could be Scottish, but... um. We don't know where he's from. It's a it's a complete mystery. Uh, I mean, I've people that are English say it's a fake accent. He's and I've heard him sound like an American before. So um, he doesn't have a Scouse accent. He doesn't sound like he's from Liverpool. So you know, it's just it's ironic because he's just not a very good double. He's probably one of the worst doubles that I've come across in my research. And I did write a book about more doubles. And if he had been a spy, he would have been shot, like, the first five minutes, you know. <laughs> they would have figured it out. Um, so it's like a big, it's just a big scam. They're all running on people. They're all, they all laugh about it. And, you know, Jimmy Fallon says, oh, you're the best Paul McCartney impersonator, ha, ha, ha. And they're all laughing. It's like, God, they're just they're just laughing at the people. Oh, my God. That's like all sorts of clues like that, you know. David Letterman was a really famous example when he was on the David Letterman show. And it's like, oh, uh, you know, there's this rumor that you, you know, were killed in a place. And, and uh, anyway, so they just... They tell people that they just make it seem like a joke, but they but it's it's not a joke. It's true. And it, something that your book taught me was yeah. You know, there's that. Um. Song uh, like was like a f- bigots like a forty five minute song or oh, no, forty five second song. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and it's like what? Yeah, th- th- this just seems like filler. You know, what's his doing on a you know Beatles album? And, there, and there's you know John singing. You know, like a Rolling Stone and the FBI and CIA and Doris Day. What? Yeah. Well, I, th- clues. They're clues. Yeah, you argue that there 
that, that that's actually some hidden clues. I do, yeah. Well, again, it's oh. like the like a Rolling Stone. Well, that's going back to the Bob Dylan rumor, I think, and um, the, you know that he was replaced or killed and replaced, and um, uh, that oh. You know, you probably you've read those or, more recently than I have. But I mean, CIA, FBI, obviously involved in psychological operations or you know spies and stuff, counterintelligence. Um, like Matt Besby, uh, he was like a football English football guy that died in a car, a plane crash. I don't even remember, and I've only that for so long, but. Yeah, if you, you you research the people that they mention or that they show, mm-hmm. and you'll see, like, oh, my God. Like, Diana Doors with the gold dress, I was shocked when I found her movie about On the Double. I was shocked. <laughs> and I hadn't seen anybody else ever talk about that. So, um, yeah, they just they plant clues everywhere, really. They do. Yeah, and even in that, uh, and you already uh, just uh, referenced it uh, a few minutes ago, the uh, Free as a Bird uh, song on the anthology, and they have this great uh, video where they are recreating the supposed car accident. Uh, That's not just a coincidence that they just put a car wreck in there and then Photoshop John looking over someone's shoulder or uh, what's going on. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're making some obvious, uh, the you know, director's making an obvious nod at that, that whole legendary s- scenario. Uh, I don't know. It really didn't go into, the Tavistock uh, concept, but you know, it, it's it's not a coincidence that the car wreck is in that video. Right. Well, and also Robert's condensed cream of the Beatles that came out in 1974. It's a really kind of creepy, dark cartoon. And I think it's pretty much telling you the story of what happened to Paul. And, um, you know, it's like a a car chase, a car crash, somebody getting shot, mm-hmm. you know, firing car, car on fire, and there's there's a a guy with a Sergeant Pepper drum in his mouth, which to me is a warning to keep silent. There's the snake imagery, which is like, you know, potentially well Illuminati stuff. I mean, it's made by Pyramid Films, which is obviously Illuminati. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I talk about that in a bit too. Um, so that's a yeah. I think it's just telling you what's going on or what happened. I think that the car crash they they harp on the car crash a lot, and I think that's a little bit of misdirection because yes, I do think there was a car crash involved, but I don't think it was an accident. Not entirely an accident. Not to say that a car didn't crash, okay. though. But um, I don't think that... I mean, I think that this was an intentional assassination 
and imposter replacement because it happens on, we see a poll in Seattle on August 26, 1966, I'm sorry, 25th, and that was the real poll. And then August 28, 1966, I think that's the first appearance of fall. And that's two days. You're, you're never going to find and train somebody to be able to pull it off even remotely in two days. So that's why I dismissed the accident scenario because it just it wouldn't be possible. It had to be pre-planned. So, anyway. It, yeah, and it, it's after the Candlestick Park concerts, the Beatles. I think it was replaced with Park well, Candlestick. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah I, just a couple I days. I think Candlestick but, was Okay. See what happened it, is that it, it, Wally Wally Fink was a photographer here in Seattle, and he went mm-hmm. to the he went to the concert, and he surreptitiously took pictures because they weren't allowed, but he did, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's a lot of pictures are black and white. And um, a lot of those pictures are being recycled as being from Candlestick. So people think it's Paul at Candlestick, but it's really pictures of Paul in Seattle a few days before. And it's at the after that tour ended, the Beatles really didn't play live except for the rooftop. a performance mm-hmm. in what uh, January of '69. Uh, I think they did like five songs, but Paul uh, really enjoyed the, the live performances. So oh, yeah, there's a yeah, yeah. There was a, another a- example of you, know, you take the early Beatles versus you know the later Beatles, and there's a big difference. Yeah, the decision to stop touring had been made uh, at least by September 26th of 1967 because their manager, Brian Epstein, tried to commit suicide because he was so upset about the turn of events. So sometime between the time they came back from America at um, was it August, 31st of 66 to September 26th sometime in that month the decision was made to never tour again now who makes such an announcement we're never going to tour again you can say we're going to take a break that would make sense but to never tour again such a final decision I mean it's it's uncharacteristic this band had been playing live since 1957 and then they were they were planning to go back to America in 67. John Lennon said so. So something happened. The, the something that you cover in Plastic Macca is compelling reading. There, there's just so many 
uh, excellent points you argue with you know the clues on the albums and the the lyrics even and you know even get into uh you know the later later solo careers uh mm-hmm. Ringo's back off boogaloo right <laughs> that's probably what song you know most people aren't, aren't thinking of but you know it is the day after Ringo's birthday so you got to work in uh, give him a nod too, but you know, uh, you know, George on the cover of All Things Must Pass. There should be three garden gnomes, uh, kind of smiling at the dejected-looking uh, George, but they're four. Mm-hmm. And it's just like yeah. you, you know, there, there's if they're to represent the Beatles, there should be three. And it's just like, it, uh, yeah, I forgot, forgot uh, the the point uh, from the Magical Mystery Tour CD until I read your book. But you, you have. You draw our attention to away in the sky beyond the clouds live four or five magicians. Mm-hmm. There, 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 there weren't five people in the Beatles, except for you know later on they would call uh, Billy Preston the fifth Beatle. But by by this time uh, in '68, uh, there were just the four of them. So who, who's the fifth Beatle? Right. Or the fifth musician, right? Well, and also there's George Martin's coat of arms, which has three Beatles on it. Kind of a big clue right there. I was like, why would oh, you yeah. leave off? Oh, he's like, oh well, I wanted to. Uh, it was John died early, you know, 1980. But it's like, well, George had died by that time too, because he died in like 2001. So why do you? That just that just doesn't ring true. You put two Beatles on it. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? <laughs> so the three Beatles and, and, is a victim right there. Yeah, and, and in some interview, Ringo said that he's the surviving Beatle. Yeah, he's the last remaining Beatle. That was 2011. That was a legitimate interview. Um, and he said, oh, well, uh, it's kind of a joke, but a lot of jokes have a, amount, a certain amount of truth to them. <laughs> it's like, you know, they they come so close to saying it, but they just can't. They can't. Because they'll, they'll probably get off if they actually told people. You know, Heather Mills, she, she was threatened. Mal Evans was killed. Brian Epstein, we don't know exactly what happened there. Um, he died from drugs, but we don't know if it was drug interaction or suicide or purpose, purposely taken out. Um, but yeah, so Mal Evans was the most egregious case because he was about to publish a tell-all book about the Beatles. And uh, just right before he was going to publish it, he, he got shot to death. By, by the police in L.A. But he was set up by his his girlfriend, apparently. So 
But then, of course, the the big manuscript disappeared. His ashes disappeared on the way back to England, and the the suitcase full of Beatles memorabilia, photographs, and music that disappeared never to resurface. So that's all very suspicious. And um, you know, parts of it were were published later, but it didn't reveal anything. Well, of course, it's redacted. I mean, it's not going to reveal whatever they killed him for. Okay, and you know, we're, uh, we're running just a few minutes over, but yeah, we just we we have to just do a, a quick uh, a review of Abbey Road to uh, you know, CD. You know that. Is one of the uh, important uh, pieces of art that make a lot of references to uh, Paul being dead. Um, you know, you found some interviews where Paul said you know, it's just a. Uh, uh, his sandals uh, you know, didn't fit in with the picture, and he didn't have another pair of shoes to to wear. And it was really an extremely hot day. Well, I think it was maybe in the eighties that day, but um, the the album cover is just loaded with clues. It's. It's of course everybody talks about like the funeral procession, right? Like John Lennon was the the funeral director, and then Ringo was the undertaker, Paul was the corpse, and George was the um, grave digger. And um, Paul has a cigarette in his right hand, which is a clue because Paul is left-handed, and he's barefoot. And there are different reasons for that, possibly. Like, uh, it could be to help hide the height difference, just take your shoes off. And it, but why would somebody want to walk across a street barefoot when they have sandals that are suited for hot weather? So that doesn't make any sense. And, um, and so, so the, the, the pavement would have been like 110 degrees or something like that uh, if you calculate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I the mean, temperature you could, that day. You you could walk on it, but why? It's going to be gravel. It could have glass, cigarette butts, dog poo. Like, why would you walk on a street when you have sandals that are suited for hot weather? It, it just doesn't make sense. And even the guy who photobombed the Abbey Road album cover, the American guy, he said, well, I just want to walk across. And he's like, they're crazy. Why are they walking across barefoot? <laughs> you don't do that in London. <laughs> so, um, so that whole story, and then follows says, "Oh, people, that rumor started because of the Abbey Road album cover." Well, no one did it. It started like three years before. So he just he just makes stuff up. But um, there's, and you know. Well, the, the six toe thing, you know, that comes up. So sometimes I think he's purposely showing his bare feet to see if people will notice his extra toe. Um, there, well, there's different. There's so much stuff on the album, like the 
the white beetle, which could symbolize a dead Paul, had 28 if on the license plate, which was like 20. Paul would have been 28 if he had lived. And, um, oh, well, anyway. And, and then songs on there, like the Sun King. See, that's one that's referencing um, well, uh, Louis the Fourteenth of France. And there was the... The man with the golden, or, sorry, with the man with the iron mask, who was the twin brother of the king, and there was going to be a coup using the king's brother to take his place. There was a movie about it, but it was um, it was a novel by um, I just I blanked on his name right now. <laughs> but that the Al Al Alexander Dumas. Dumas, yeah, Alexander Dumas. Sorry, I just. The, the Count of but, Monte Cristo? Yeah, exactly. So. And you get the golden uh, slumbers? Yep. Being dead? Yep. Golden slumbers? I always thought that was kind of creepy, even before I had really researched Paul's dad stuff. Um, and then Come Together is also a little bit weird. And. Could be like you're you're coming together at a at a grave site, you know, and looking down at the grave and just like flat top. Here come all flat top, you know, like they were saying Paul's head and then like sheared off and weird stuff like that. So yeah, um, just lots of clues and things they said later too, like. Uh, that John Lennon song and um, he said those freaks was right when they said you was dead <laughs> you know mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you sleep which is a, a total slam at fall and saying your your songs are music to my ears and the only thing you did was the, yesterday the only, yeah the only thing you done was yesterday and Today you're just another day. Now you're just another day. So he's saying yesterday was good, another day is bad. I mean that's how I read it. Mm-hmm. So and, yeah, and I mean, another another day was one of fall. Fall. You yeah. know, falls solo solo songs. That's right. Yeah, just kind of a mediocre song. <laughs> I mean. It's average. It's all is average at best, I think, in my opinion. Okay. So, hey, you know, uh, Tina, we uh, are a few minutes over. Uh, do you want to uh, say yeah, it, we- it, it's time to say good night, sleep tight? <laughs> Or, yeah. or do you want to? Uh, I mean, uh, we can keep going, or, or if you, you know, do you want to stop? That's fine. Uh, you can give people, you know, your website information, and I hope Plastic Maca took you by surprise. <laughs> yeah, my blog is plasticmaca.blogspot.com, and my name is Tina Foster. And um, I'm I'm on Facebook. The book is on Amazon. I also wrote this 
splitting image, which is about doubles. So that was sort of an introductory book because so many people have trouble with the concept of doubles and imposter replacement. So I thought I would start with a book that laid all that information out and then then it's like preparation for for, for Paul. Because people are like, Well how can they do it? They could never they could never get away with this. It's like, okay, let's see, we got Stalin, we got Kim Jong il, we got Saddam Hussein, <laughs> we have um Churchill, we've got um Montgomery, General Montgomery, um, Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, we got tons of cases of doubles, and people, they just, they don't notice. No, they don't. But some of them are really good, to be quite honest. So they uh-huh. they could be forgiven. But Fall is, is not a good double. He's not. He's probably the worst. And, um, I mean, I would love for him to be exposed, but it's it's not going to happen. People are just going to have to figure it out on their own for themselves and not rely on any sort of official statement by fall or the press. It's not going to happen. But, I mean, do people just go, do they base their entire reality on what the media tells them? They shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, they should you should do some of your own research and investigation. So, what well, uh, you you did a great job. You have like a uh, couple thousand footnotes where you document everything. Well, I try because I want it to be a serious investigation and research and document where I get my information because I'm not just making it up. Now, my theories are mostly original about what happened to him, but I base it all on real research. So I don't use fictional books for my information, (laughs) you know. Uh, And so... I mean, I probably overdid it, but I'm a lawyer, so that's just what I do. I I don't want to leave something undocumented because that's academic dishonesty. It's frowned upon, you know, it's like plagiarism. So I always try to give credit if it's, if it's possible. If I'm not sure, I just go ahead and give them credit or cite it because it's fine. I don't I don't want to be you know, plagiarizing people or whatever. So, um, anyway, it's probably, it might be dawning to some people, but if they don't like footnotes, just ignore them. They're footnotes. Like, you don't have to look at them. They're just there if you are interested in looking farther into it, you know. But, okay. but that re- for that reason, with all the footnotes, it, it doesn't work as an ebook. So, I just I had to take it off of Amazon as an ebook because it was just it just doesn't work. I don't know why Amazon won't uh, support PDFs in their ebooks, but they're they're just not it's not suitable. So anyway, it's just a print book now. Okay, it it's a good one. Well, how how about we 
end on that note because we are at the end of the line. And I thought it was a great show. Thank you, Tina, for uh, being our guest. And uh, I'll be back, I think, next Tuesday with Alan Hunter. And just want to thank you again. The book's Plastic Macca by Tina Foster. And uh, we, we can wrap up the show. Thank you, uh, listeners, and we'll see you next week.